Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Puppets, and welcome back to the fifth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of July 10th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we have gotten to this point in July. We kind of that midpoint, at least in the upper northern hemisphere, the kind of that midpoint of the summer, the you at least here in the United States, kind of the unofficial midpoint is Independence Day. I hope everyone here, at least in the States, had a good Independence Day. And for those around the world, you have a good Independence Day. But it's this fun time of year in the northern hemisphere where getting in the groove of what summer is like, kind of enjoying that. And yet in the back of your head, you're already realizing that the days are already getting shorter because we are beyond the summer solstice and just that recognition of appreciation of where you're at this recognition of look at what we have been blessed with we have been blessed with these warm days we've been blessed with the sunlight we've been blessed with the birds that come for the period of time for summer breeding this the different things of that nature being able to recognize and realize these blessings is kind of fun and as we've talked about this time after pentecost is this time of growth within the church and these texts this weekend, I think in a lot of ways, kind of encourage that. But before we get into that, we have to look at the question for last week, which was, where do we need to work together instead of individually? And I think there's a lot of places that we can see this type of thing happening. When we think about science, the best work that ends up being done, there's multiple names on those papers. It's a lot of times where maybe someone came up with an idea, but it's being able to be expanded or the idea grows when it's being able to be worked on with someone else. And so in doing that, it allows for bigger solutions to be made. I think around the world, as we look at our governments and things of this nature, we hope that we are able to work together instead of finding arbitrary lines that we have and deciding that these are the things that I stick to and I can't work together or work across some of these issues where we don't necessarily see 100% eye to eye and find some type of compromise. Being able to work together is a skill, but it's also something that is very valuable and is amazing to be able to see how much more we're able to do, like we talked about last week with the Harris Hawk, how they're able to kill bigger prey because they're working together. So, Let's just jump into it for this week. The One of the Old Testament texts that you can choose from is from Amos chapter 7, verses 7 to 17. First, you almost have to give a little background into Amos. The tribe of Israel has been divided into two parts. You have the northern tribe of Israel and the southern part of Judah. He is coming from Judah into Israel. Israel has won a lot of battles, but has become very financially wealthy, and in doing that has kind of ignored specifically people who are in poor and thus have also introduced idol worship into this. And this is where Amos is upset. This is kind of a collection of sermons and thoughts and ideas that he was kind of presenting at the time. And so we get here in chapter 7 how the Lord has kind of laid out this vision of how they're going to have the destruction of what they know around them, but yet God is still going to be there to help them be able to rise up, but it's not going to be necessarily 
the way that they think. And it's one of these moments where it's God trying to steer the people away from what they've been doing, that it's going to look like chaos. It's going to look crazy on what is all going on. But yet it's that God is still in all of this as the destruction of everything that you know, all the things that you've seen around you and how there's prophecy was going to kind of dissipate. And so thus, you have to trust that God is still in all of this. The psalm this week is Psalm 82. And this is, again, recognizing how God is the one in control and to be able to give homage to what God is doing and realizing that there is a lot of things that are beyond what we are able to obtain the a lot of things that are out of our control it's that whole free will thing that we are giving up our free will to god and realizing that god is in this control statement that he's the one that is in the driver's seat not us and that the judgment and the different things of that nature do be able to get us through difficult times is all lies on god's shoulders not our shoulders The other alternative Old Testament text is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 9 to 14. This is a text that you have to be a little bit careful on how you're presenting it because, again, it's something that can look like it's a a fulfillment prophecy type of text and how God is trying to allow us to be fruitful and to be prosperous. But in doing that, we have to obey what God is calling us to do and understanding that there is going to be times where it's steering us toward things that maybe we're not necessarily the most comfortable with doing, but realizing that God is in that. So realizing that this heaven on earth type of idea can happen and does happen and realizing that in doing this it's the process of not the works but it's the obeying of what god is striving us and pulling us and leading us into and being able to know the difference between where our will is leading us and what god is trying to work within us and i know that's a very fine line that you have to be walking and so it's a difficult task to be able to go through but it's understanding that if god is calling us into something that there will be god still working with us to make it successful in that former fashion and i know that's again just with at least here in the united states the politics of how things have been done over the last two decades there can be a lot of things where that wording can even be very tricky on how to even phrase that the psalm this week is psalm 25 verses 1 to 10 this is then recognizing that we are lifting up and trusting in God and recognizing that there are times that there are things that are out of our control. There are things that we are doing and letting go of and recognizing that God then is the one who is in control, like we got a lot in the other psalm, but recognizing that it's God providing and it's not the self, it's the humbling of the self to recognize and be able to see how God is providing and how God's love is being conveyed and spread out amongst us. The second reading is from Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 1 to verse 14. 
This is the beginning of the letter to the people of Colossae. This is kind of an interesting text in and of itself that here we have Paul in prison, recognizing that this church hasn't been started by him, but instead has been talked about by Ephrus, who has come and visited Paul. And it's the outpouring that Paul gives of how he is so pleased with how they are growing and how that love is in contrary to like the people of Israel in the Amos text, that their love then is being shared amongst all and being able to show that. And then he kind of gets into in the back half of this reading on how the more that you're doing this, the more you're going to understand and start seeing the process of what Christ did and what God is all about, what it really means to love and share in recognizing that this is so much greater than anything of human nature. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. This is a text that is fairly familiar, especially the second half of it, and kind of known in circles as the Good Samaritan text. But we have a lawyer standing up, challenging Jesus on how do we inherit eternal life. Jesus says, what is written in the law? Asking what's stated there. He then recites a a section from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus then kind of confirms, yep, you do this and you will live. But he asks then, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus gives the parable that there's a man going to Jericho. He falls into the hands of robbers. He's stripped, beaten, and is half dead. And you have a priest who passes on the other side and a Levite who passes on the other side. Some of the ideas potentially being that, again, both of these being figures kind of within the church community, that if they touched a dead body, they'd be unclean, and there was a process then to reclean themselves. So potentially just kind of an ignorance is bliss type of idea. But then a Samaritan comes by and is moved with pity. He not only bandaged them and is helping him kind of recoup a little bit, puts him on his animal, brings him to an inn, tells the innkeeper, here's some cash for the person to stay here. I will come back and repay you for anything more that you do for this man. Jesus then asks, who was the neighbor? And the lawyer responds with, the one who showed mercy. Jesus responds with, go and do likewise. So a lot here within these texts, a lot to kind of bring in. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug. Boom. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. And not only their Working Preacher podcast, having three to four seminary professors from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, but also their commentaries that are there through 10 years of archives and also the, a lot of other discussions that happen over there. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy how they lay out the text each week. It makes it, and it's what I use on a week-to-week basis on how I look at these texts. I'd also highly recommend checking out the art section to be able to look at how different people have interpreted these texts and looked at these texts and artistically created these texts throughout time, throughout space, throughout location, throughout time. It's really, really fun to be able to look at and help give some different ideas and perspectives on how these texts can be possibly be looked at. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also.
it's hard being able to look at these texts and see like first how we have somebody challenging Jesus on one looking for eternal life and then questioning who is my neighbor. And I think for me, the thing that I kind of think about is there's a couple clues here that I thought about and it kind of led me into the rabbit hole of where we'll go this week with the science context. But first, we have to realize the first statement, this person is a lawyer. And when I think of lawyers, lawyers are highly educated and also are trying to find shortcuts. That's what lawyers are trying to do. They're trying to find some hole in your case to be able to say, okay, so that's what's happened. Heck, when I was in biology, they talked about that lawyers should have heydays with you because you can only speak with 99.9% confidence. You are not speaking in words of 100% confidence. That's not how we work within science. We are talking within confidence intervals. We are talking in a way to leave space for something that has not yet been discovered or leave space for the idea of we don't understand everything, which gives a lawyer plenty of room to be able to massage that and be able to say, so you can't speak with confidence. And that was something I was literally talked to me about in my undergrad. But in this not only does he push that, and okay, so this is what's going on, but then specify to me who my neighbor is. And that's what's so amazing when Jesus gives this example. Okay, you have the priest. Okay, they pass by. The Levite. Okay, they pass by. But who stops? A Samaritan who is like the arch rival of the Jews. They're kind of this people who are like, don't touch. We don't associate with. They're the lowlifes. And yet this is the one who is the one who's showing compassion. One of the things that I kind of notice out of this text is Jesus is trying to state life is not in the loopholes. Life is not figuring out the loophole and being able to exploit it and being able to then shortcut what God is trying to call me to do. And likewise, I think honestly, it's Jesus stating life is the work, the process to get to where you are wanting to go, getting to the place where God is calling you to be in that. That's life. The process of being able to move from here to here as I'm being called to do so is life. And the process and growth that it takes to climb up that mountain is life. The Amos text of, okay, you have been deceived. You are being deceived. And what is this that you are recognizing? God has been able to do all these things for you as the people of Israel. And now you're letting that go aside because now you've actually are accumulating some wealth. You have a leader who is bringing in other ideas and you're not checking in with God who has gotten you to this point, gotten you to the possibility of being able to do this. You're the one then it's just, just throw this all away because of what you've done. And that's where you kind of even see that a little bit in the psalm of then realizing that God is the one in judgment. The Deuteronomy text saying, okay, now, if you do the opposite, if you're recognizing where God is calling you and being able to then go through that, realizing there might be difficulty along the way, but realizing that God is still going to provide for you. And yes, it says prospering you and all these texts that sound like a prophecy type of text, but realizing it's not specifying exactly when that's going to happen. It doesn't specify exactly how that's going to happen abundantly prosperous in your undertakings, the fruit of your body, the fruit of your livestock, the fruit of your soil, and take delight in prospering you. 
coming from verse 9, but it doesn't state like in your lifetime. It doesn't specify exactly when that's going to happen. It doesn't specify that in that there's still going to be times where it's difficult. It's not supposed to be. I mean, heck, if you look at the Colossians text, Paul is writing this from prison because he's looking at this and stating, look at what you're doing. And as you continue to do this, you're going to start realizing the ability and growth that you will have and the more wisdom that you will get because you're going through this process, realizing the gifts and realizing the love that God has for other people in this. And that to me is quite amazing, but it really circles back around to this argument, this idea of what the lawyer brings up of who is my neighbor, trying to find the loophole, trying to find the way to be able to shortcut and say, okay, now I've accomplished that and I can move on to other things. Where God is stating, no, that's not the case. I have other plans. And that's where for me, I dug into a rabbit hole of chaos theory. Now, granted, I'll attach links in the show notes this week about it. I am no expert on this. It's getting into calculus, probably light physics, and it's definitely getting into just a lot of mathematical equations. But I found it really interesting as I studied into it. And so the whole idea behind chaos theory is probably something that you've heard, like the butterfly effect, which kind of got coined in the 1960s when a paper was going to be presented and hadn't been able to get in contact with the author. But the idea of a flap of a butterfly's wing in Brazil causes a hurricane or a tornado in Texas. The idea of how little things can dramatically change things on a bigger scale. And how Edward Lorenz figured this out with the help of Margaret Hamilton and Ellen Fetter. And Margaret Hamilton actually ended up working on the Apollo projects later on and was kind of one of the people who is credited with coining the name of software. But these three working together, Lorenz was doing some experiments trying to help do some forecasting meteorology work at MIT. In doing that, they had figured out 12 different variables within the environments to be able to help predict the weather. And so they were getting all these mathematical numbers that were lining up. And in doing so, Lorenz had run a run and decided that he wanted to go and get a cup of coffee, but was going to take the numbers halfway through the run and continue that run out again and just see if it would be the same numbers. The system that he was working in was calculating it out to six digits. When he plugged it in at trial 25 to run the second half, what it was printing out was only three digits. So he put in the three digits. By the time he got back, what he found was it started very similarly, but because of the amount of variability that he had added, the results by the end of the 50th run was dramatically, dramatically different. And this then kind of started to evolve the beginnings of chaos theory. And part of it is it's a deterministic system, which is the behavior of a certain variable 
can be determined in known characteristics. We understand a lot of these, but the issue becomes is when we're dealing with something like weather or a lot of things within our lives, that if you modify that one variable, how is it going to affect all the other variables becomes very difficult to be able to predict. Technically, you could be able to slowly figure it out, but by the time you figured it out, you would need to recalculate again. That's where a lot of times where we have long-range forecasts, the further out we get, the harder it is to be able to predict because we are making assumptions on things and building upon those assumptions. And if they are slightly different than what we initially predicted, it means that we have a much differing result, especially the further away we get. And so we get into this very interesting position of we're able to kind of predict the future only a little ways ahead. And the further out we get, the harder it is to predict, which gets really weird about this whole thing is when you graph this in three-dimensional phase space, hang with me, which is just a graph in X, Y, and Z dimensions, there are strange attractors which cause these to orbit around and are pulled toward these chaotic centers in an aperiodic way and is very sensitive to condition changes. But when they're doing this, it looks like it's crossing, but it's not. In three-dimensional space, they never cross. And what ends up happening is that Lorenz deterministic chaos theory makes what looks like a butterfly in graph space, which is crazy. Why do I bring all of this up? It's the idea of in all of the chaos and everything that we are looking at, it doesn't, especially when you first start even looking at how some of these things are graphed, it looks crazy. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't look like anything. But the longer it goes, the more it goes, there does seem to be a pattern, even though it never crosses. It's unique. And in doing that, we realize that there is order to what is going on. It's just chaotic that we have difficulty being able to predict exactly what's going to happen. But there is order to what is going on, if that makes sense. The longer something goes, the more we can kind of semi-predict what's going to happen, but we can't pinpoint it with accuracy. We can give it an about what's going to happen, but we can't pinpoint it with 100% accuracy. The closer we get to the event actually happening, the more accuracy we can have. But again, we have to leave in that room for something happening that is outside of what we can predict for that moment or something changes, which then drastically changes where the things are going to happen. Weather is the great example of this. The reason I bring up chaos theory is the lawyer is trying to figure out how do I get from point A to point Z without experiencing that other 24 letters in between, without experiencing whatever road it's going to be. Jesus then responds with when he tells the parable, go and do likewise when he answers the one who showed him mercy. Go and show mercy to the neighbor. Go and be the person that isn't ignoring things. Go and be the one who is observant. Go 
and realize that things around you might not look like they're tying together, but realize that in the scheme of things, they are. That's the thing that blew my mind in the very basic understanding that I get of chaos theory and the high math that this is. There's a beauty to it. There's a beauty to being able to see the different variables and how they are interacting with each other. There's a beauty in how then it all comes together. Realizing the picture at the end will be beautiful, but not understanding what the picture is to start is what's crazy. Realizing that as you start to see the picture, there are going to be things that change, variables that change, that dramatically change the look of the picture, but there's still beauty to that. The people of Israel are prospering like what was told in Deuteronomy, but they had lost the way. And so Amos is then reminding them, okay, you're losing the way. You're dramatically going to change things. But it's also in chaos theory. One of the things that I found that was comforting is it constantly was changing. As I was watching these things being graphed, realizing like, okay, there's a small change in variable and even showing like how they would track together, but over time then totally go differently, that there was still beauty in it. The route in which things were going were maybe different, but there was a beauty to what was being displayed. The wisdom that comes with time to be able to comprehend things. The beauty being able to understand that the more variables we put in to like a weather system, the potential it has to have more accuracy, but also how temperamental it's going to be if some little variable changes how that can dramatically change things. But the beauty being able to have a system like that and being able to see where we're going is also beautiful. Even if the results that we're getting out of it and what we're seeing is potentially is going to happen is scary. We like the idea of being able to grasp the future. We like the idea of being able to have the shortcut. We like the ability of, okay, who's my neighbor? And so I can just focus on those people. And when we get the answer from God, realizing that it's much broader, realizing that it isn't that specific, go and show mercy, go and be observant, go and pray and connect with me and realize it's not by works and what you're doing, but your works are going to influence who you become. It's not saying that works are dead, but it's also realizing that they're a part of who we are and growing our relationship with God. It's difficult. There's a lot of variables that are all within that. The chaos of what a life is and all the twists and turns that it can take, realizing that in doing that, there is a beauty to a life, even though there are times that things just appear crazy. Realizing in this, to me, that even when we make a simple rounding error, that God can still make something beautiful out of it. And yes, maybe it takes us longer to get to the point of where God was initially hoping and designed us to be. It doesn't mean it's impossible for us to get there. Realizing in that, we're not judging each other because we're not the ones who know what we were designed to do. Realizing that God will probably sit down with us at some point and say, here's what I called you to do. You got there. It took a while. This part, you got there a little bit more direct. You were getting it, but then you lost it. These texts kind of show how life is sometimes great in a direct path, and yet other times it's not. And yet we have things like chaos theories showing us that there's still a beauty to it, but that life isn't just a direct line. 
life continues to shape and mold us and make us into these beautiful creations of God. These beautiful, wonderful things that move us in different directions than we ever would have expected. And I think we know from life that's how life works. So when Jesus gives this simple response of go and do likewise to the answer of the one who showed mercy, I think there is a point where then the next question is, which person? Because Jesus gave the example of one person. There's a lot of people who he can choose from. Does the lawyer go out and pick just one person at random? Or does he try doing all of them and realize he can't do it? Like, there are so many additional variables. And it's not necessarily that the works of that, but realizing that the work that that inquires and it takes is going to transform us. It's going to make us into different people. It's going to make us look at the world differently and make sure that we are observant to things instead of just letting it pass by as the Levite and the priest did in this case. So the question I have for you today is how much do we ignore when God's knocking? How much do we ignore when God's knocking? Because I think there are times that we get caught up in where we believe God is calling us and opportunities are there for us to show mercy, for us to do small things that don't even feel like work. And yet we miss those opportunities. We take them for granted. We see something else as important. We let the chaos of life instead of an opportunity for God to maybe redirect us in the chaos to more where God is wanting us to be, to make another beautiful thing. And I wonder if at times that We just miss them. We miss those opportunities. But then there's also times that I feel like we must find them. We must see them and do those simple things and suddenly it changes our lives. And we know from experience in life that we all go through that. Life isn't a straight line of A to B. And life isn't about trying to figure out how to get to A to Z as fast as possible. Life twists and turns and goes around strange attractors and makes us do these weird shapes. But that's life. That's the living of life. Life is in the chaos. Life is in that that helps mold us and shape us and change trajectories and make us into the beautiful people that we are. And sometimes God just needs to remind us in the beauty of the chaos to remember to think about others and not just to be purely focused on ourselves. That we have to be able to look beyond our chaos to welcome in other people's chaos to change our chaos, which is love. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.